0: we be wrapping up our study of Colossians today. Um, and as I was thinking through today's message, um, and just thinking through my life over the years and different things, there's times we forget, I think, what we're called to do. Um, you know, I can remember growing up in church... There were times when it didn't make sense to me. There were times when it was just something to do. There were times when I didn't want to go, you know, but dad and mom made me whether I wanted to or not. Um, but I remember about 17 years of age, and I'll admit my my rationale for changing churches had nothing to do with the Lord. Um, it had to do with a young lady. <laughs> and... uh You know, I hate to admit that, but, you know, I started going to another church with this young lady, and uh, as the Lord would have it, he said, you shouldn't be looking at her. And she said, you shouldn't be looking at me, Booted me out. Um, You know, but that's okay. I stayed at that church, and, and in the midst of that, met several men, my youth pastor, his brother, some other guys who were close to my age or a little bit older, that we began to challenge one another. What it meant to follow Christ fully, that it wasn't just a matter of going to church. I've been to Bible college, I've been to seminary, I've been to more school than I care to remember. Some of it I can't. Um, But I remember some of the deepest discussions of what it means to follow the Lord. Sitting around a table at Shoney's across the street from my church, late at night, drinking coffee and hanging out together. And if Shoney's closed about midnight, some of us went and swung at a, a, a park. We'd just sit out in the swings and talk theology till all hours of the morning. For some reason, I don't know why my parents let me do that when I was still in high school. Um, but I'm thankful that they did. Because I was challenged by men who, who helped me to see that there's more to it than just going to church. There's more to it than... Feelings that you get, there's, you know, there's, there's going to be times when everything feels great and it's nice. There's going to be times when it feels like garbage and life seems to just throw everything at you and why is this happening? And so what does it mean to follow in the midst of that? And as we're finishing up the book of Colossians, there's, there's this part of the book and a part of almost all the books that Paul writes that we tend to, when we're reading them, to just kind of skip over. Mostly because they're just a list of names that we don't know the people, we can't pronounce their names, and, and so we really don't get a grasp as to why Paul included this in a book. If you think about it, I mean, you're, you're writing to tell people what it means to be in Christ and to follow Christ, and you ended up talking about several people, and these people are sending you greetings and this kind of thing. But what we need to remember is Paul didn't sit and think, I'm writing a book that's going to go in a New Testament that people are going to have 2,000 years from now and studying and looking at and trying to figure out what I was saying. He's writing a letter to a group of friends to say this is what it means to follow Christ. It would be as if Tom Howe and Richard Howe And Ken Kilgore and Danny Evans were sending me a letter saying, this is what it means, Wade, for you to follow Christ. And by the way, Christy said hello. And Pat said hello. You know, and and you go, okay, thanks. Because that's what he's doing here. But why is it included in the scriptures? Why are we reading these personal letters about people that we don't know As Paul is sharing these things. And I think there's a passage in in Hebrews chapter 12 that helps us to understand that. He says, being surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us run the race that is set before us. Keeping our eyes fixed on Christ, not each other and not those friends, but we run because of that cloud of witnesses. Now I've heard all kinds of messages on that passage. Some good, some bad. I'll tell you what it does not mean. It does not mean that all the people from the Old Testament and all the people from the New Testament are sitting in the stands cheering us on. Yay! Let's do the wave. You know? No. They are not witnesses of what we are doing. They are witnesses to us that no matter what comes your way, you can follow Christ. And even the Old Testament guys who didn't know who Christ was were following God, trusting him in the midst of it, some of it not good things. Some of it was trusting God when you're 90 years old and he says, you're going to have a son and and you've never had a son before, but you're going to have a son and that son's going to have all kinds of sons and you're going to bless the nations. And you go, yeah, right. Now some of it is, it says that in the midst of being sawn in two, they trusted God. All of it says in the Old Testament that they died without ever seeing the promise. But they still trusted Christ. Job says, though he slay me, yet will I trust him. It doesn't make sense to us. It's so much easier to trust Christ when everything's going well. And life's smooth. And we're coming to Christmas time and sometimes, you know, we we try to, we put our minds around this concept of what Christmas should be like and it's really not that way for very many people. You know, the movies make it look like, oh, everything just comes together on Christmas Eve. You know, everything's hectic and crazy and once you put that tree up and it starts snowing, which never happens here in South Carolina, uh, once you put that tree up and it starts snowing, All of life just becomes so peaceful and calm and everything's wonderful. It doesn't show the people who are at the hospital on Christmas Eve. The people who are at the funeral home on Christmas Eve. The people who are saying, I'm sorry, I can't give you anything for Christmas because I don't have a dime to my name and what little bit of money I might have I owe to everybody and the brother. So as we come to this time, as we sit and thinking through these people that Paul is going to show us here at the end of this book, We need to remember that he's telling us about people who had an impact on his life and an impact on the church at Colossae. And what we need to know about those people so that we can see that they are a great cloud of witnesses for us, that you follow Christ no matter what. So let's look at a few. Well, before we get to those few people, let's look at a few passages. Moses said this to God, I am not able to carry all this people alone, The burden is too heavy for me. Now, he wasn't talking about physically carrying two million people. Because he wouldn't be able to do that, for sure. But he's saying, you know, God's saying, I want you to go to to Pharaoh. Tell him to let my people go and you lead them out to a land that I'm going to lead you to. And Moses goes, God, that, I don't think I can do it. God says, well, don't worry, you don't have to do it alone. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be with you the whole way. You know, one of the passages that always gets me tickled is in Joshua chapter 1. All the people of Israel say, Joshua, we're going to follow you like we followed Moses. Now, that doesn't seem real promising. If I'm Joshua, I'd be going, man, please don't. Follow me better than that. You know, because they didn't, there was just constant griping and complaining and murmuring. And Nothing ever seemed to be right. And they have one big success and everybody gets all excited and five minutes later they're going, and it's not just one or two people. It's two million people who are griping and complaining and not doing what they're called to do. But but Moses says, look, I I can't do it alone. The burden's too heavy for me. And God says, you know what, I'll be with you, but also I'm going to send Aaron. I'm going to give you your brother to be part of this with you. Joshua is going to be part of this with you. You don't have to do it by yourself. Solomon says this, as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. See, it's not about, Lord, how can I follow you? How can I keep my focus on you? How can I do all these things? No, he's saying we're in this together. There's a reason why we are part of a body, is that we can encourage and strengthen and help one another. We sharpen each other. We're not doing it alone. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, said this, what you're doing is not good. What was Moses doing? Trying to bear the burden by himself. Every complaint, every kind of judgment that came along, they brought it to Moses and he'd sit all day long. Well, you need to do this. You need to do this. Here, you need to pay him this. You need to, uh, At the end of the day, he's, I'm worn out, Lord. Jethro said, hey, man, you're going to kill yourself and them if you keep trying to carry this burden by yourself. Pick 70 other men and put them in charge and help them get, get them to help you with this. Because Jethro understood you can't do it by yourself. And as much as we look at the Apostle Paul, and we all want to emulate Paul and how great he was and how he had everything together, Paul would tell you we cannot do it alone. Paul never claimed that he could handle it by himself. He had a group of people who helped him. So let's look at the first person. Colossians chapter 4, verse four and verse 7 says, Tychicus will tell you all about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. Now, let me give you a hint. This is just a, a sidelight. It has nothing to do with our message this morning. Um, but for future reference, when you're reading the Scriptures, especially if you're reading it in public, just say the names with confidence. Go right through. People... People aren't going to know whether you're saying it right or not. But just say it with confidence. And everybody thinks, well, I thought it was always pronounced somewhere different. And, you know, and then they begin to pronounce it the way you pronounce it. So I don't know if it's Tychicus or Tychicus or whatever, but we're going to call him Tychicus this morning. So, so just say it with confidence, especially those Old Testament names. You know, you get to Mayher, Shallow, Hashbaz, and those guys. And those, are, those are tough ones. So just hang in there and say them with confidence. Um, but what do we know about this guy? We don't know a whole lot, but in Acts chapter 20... We know that he chose to give up his home and his job to go with Paul on the missionary journeys. Paul's gathering a bunch of people and says, hey, let's go. And Tychicus is one of those people who says, okay, I'm following you. I'm right along with you, brother. I'm going to do it. I'm going to follow you and go wherever you tell me to go. And then in Titus chapter 3, we see Tychicus again. And we see him... Beside Paul, who has been arrested. Antiochus is not under arrest, but he chooses to go to prison with Paul so that he can encourage and strengthen him in the prison. That's friendship right there, buddy. My dad worked for the federal prison system, and I'd be hard-pressed to kind of go in there So some of you guys. You know, you get arrested, I'm going to be going... I see at court. You know, I've, I've visited jails. Yeah, I don't want to go there. But Tychicus said, you know what? Because I love Paul, because he needs my encouragement, he's my strength, I'm going to voluntarily go to jail with him to encourage him. Then we see in Second Timothy, Paul sends Tychicus to Colossae instead of Timothy. We don't know what's going on with Timothy, why he can't go but Paul trusts him with the message. As a matter of fact, Paul trusts him with the letter to the Colossians, the letter to the Ephesians. There's a letter that we don't have a copy of to the Laodiceans, and a letter to Philemon. Paul saying, you know what? These letters have got to get to these people to encourage them. Here, Tychicus, you take them. Now, Paul there is willing to give up his companion who's in jail with him to take these letters back to these cities. So he's trusting him with that. What does Paul say about him right here? That he is a beloved brother. A beloved brother. You know, are there people that you know that you can say that about? Are there people that you know who could say that about you? That no matter what happens, I know they're going to be right there by my side. They're going to be there to encourage me. They're going to be there to see me through. They're not going to walk away no matter how bad it gets. He says he was a faithful minister. He was right along with Paul on the missionary journey. Telling people about Christ. And a fellow servant. So we see Tychicus as a true servant. Man, that person who's willing to give up all to help Paul. You know. We know people like that, don't we? Who are willing to just give their last dime to help you, to give their last free minute of the day to help you. That was Tychicus. Then we see Onesimus. Remember, say these things with courage and boldness. Um, He says, I have sent him, talking about Tychicus, to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, that he may encourage your hearts and with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. How many people know who Onesimus was? may know who Onesimus was? Not everybody at once. Onesimus was a slave in Colossae under a gentleman named Philemon. And Onesimus escaped from his slavery and ran away and was arrested and put in jail by some guy, close to some guy named Paul. And while he's in jail with Paul, Paul leads him to the Lord and then sends him with Tychicus with a letter back to the city he escaped from, back to his master with this letter, two letters saying, accept him back. Now he's willing to come back as a slave again, But you accept him back as a brother, whether you accept him back as a slave or not. Now, let's get off on a little bit of a sidelight here. I've heard people say, well, slavery in those days wasn't like slavery in the 1800s in the U.S. Bull. (laughs) It was bad. You didn't want to be someone's slave. Now, Paul is not saying that he agrees with slavery. Paul is not saying it's a good system. Paul is living for Christ in the system he lives in. He does challenge Philemon to set him free and let him be a brother, but if Philemon chooses to continue to have him as his slave, that's Philemon's choice. It's not Paul's position to tell him. Paul pretty boldly says, hey, I'm not going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to tell you what to do. (laughs) You know, I mean, he's kind of clear on that in Philemon. But here's Onesimus now being sent back To where he escaped from. To bring people this message from Paul. Knowing that when he goes back, he can go back into slavery with Philemon. But he's willing to go. And what does Paul say about him? He's a faithful and beloved brother who's one of you. Accept him back. Onesimus' name means reliable or profitable. As a matter of fact, you read Philemon, he says, he's of profit to you. Paul plays off of Onesimus' name to challenge Philemon to to accept him back as a brother in Christ. So we see that, that there's a true servant who's following Paul. We also see someone with a questionable past. We don't know why Onesimus was a slave. Probably he got in over his head financially, and so he sold himself into slavery to Philemon so that he could pay his bills and stay out of jail. We don't know that, but but we know that he's a slave who escaped from his master, was arrested, put in jail, but came to know Christ. And God changed his heart. As a matter of fact, Philemon had a church in his home In Colossae. So that when Onesimus is sent back, he's sent back to that church. And not long after that, Onesimus became the pastor of Philemon's church. His questionable past didn't stop him from serving the Lord. Then we have Aristarchus. Verse 10, Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner greets you. And that's all it says about Aristarchus. But back again in Acts chapter 20, when Tychicus started following Paul, Aristarchus started following too. And it seems like from what we know about Aristarchus, he's one of those guys you want when you're in a bad situation. You know, you ever been in those times when you just are glad somebody's there with you? You know, whether that's that they're armed (laughs) <laughs> or that they're, they're just big, you know, or, or, they, or they just know how to handle the situation. You know, I, I've, I don't carry a gun. I'm not that big of a guy. But I can remember being with a bunch of teenagers in Toronto, Canada, in situations that were not the best place to have a bunch of teenagers. And it's one of those things that you want the people who know the area with you. A guy named Paul was there that was a pastor that knew the area, and he would say, don't go there. Go over here. When you're over here, keep an eye out for these kind of things. I can remember standing on a street corner with my back to the road with 45 teenagers right here about to cross the, the road when the light changed, watching a drug deal go down behind them. <laughs> and I'm thinking, I'm glad they don't know what's going on. But you wanted Paul, the pastor who knows the area, to be there with you. I mean, um, Aristarchus is one of those guys. You want him there with you. He's also with Tychicus that he, in Acts chapter 27, volunteers along with Tychicus to go to jail with Paul. I mean, these are good friends. Paul has surrounded himself with people who are willing to go to jail with him. Not because they've done anything wrong, but because he needs them. Aristarchus is that sensitive soul, that one who who knows what needs to happen and is there to help out, to do what needs to be done. Then we come to Mark. We all know Mark, wrote a book, right? We all have the Gospel of Mark. Some people believe that Mark was the young man in the garden who ran away naked when when they arrested Christ. That he was there. That probably the upper room story happened at Mark's house. He was following these guys to see what was going to happen. Got out of bed. Wrapped a sheet around him. Went out there to see what was going to happen. When all hell broke loose. He took off running. Left the sheet behind. Then later in Acts chapter 13. We see Mark is part of the, the team with Paul. But Mark. Something gets carry. Mark gets a little concerned whether it's his age or what but he says, you know what? I can't do this anymore. I'm going home. And he leaves. And he goes home. You say, well, you know, that's understandable. He's young. We'll give him a break. Then in Acts chapter 15, Paul and Barnabas are, are saying, you know what? Let's go out again. We're going to go. And Barnabas says, hey, let's, let's bring Mark. Paul says, "Uh uh-uh, don't you remember? He flaked out on us last time. He ain't coming. Now, apparently, the discussion between Paul and Barnabas gets to a point where it's pretty heated. We don't like to think about that with Paul and Barnabas, but it gets to a point where they say, you know what? That's it. And Barnabas goes his own way and takes Mark, and Paul grabs a guy named Silas, and they go their way. So Mark is this failure who walks away and doesn't do what he's called to do. But then in first Peter we see that Peter pours into Mark. He spends time with him. He begins to develop him. Matter of fact, most commentators, commentators believe that Mark wrote down, I mean that Peter trans. I mean Peter said all of what was in the Gospel of Mark. Mark just wrote it down. And it got Mark's name on it. But Peter is actually the one who wrote it. It was kind of dictated to Mark, and Mark wrote it down. And again, it became attributed to Mark because of his handwriting. He's that close tie with Peter. But you know what? In 2 Timothy, Paul is writing to Timothy, and he says, When you come to visit me, bring with you Mark, who is profitable for me for ministry. In the midst of it all, Paul forgave Mark. Paul saw that Mark took a stand and began to change. And though he'd failed one time and walked away, he was profitable now for ministry. So Mark's that forgiven failure. That one who's part of the team who maybe shouldn't be. Then we have Jesus' justice. It says, Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice. These are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Now, his last name, they, they include his last name, or at least the surname there for him, because just to distinguish between him and Christ. But he's saying, you know what, he's one of the only Jews... Who have stood with me in the midst of all this? Only one of, only of one of a few of my brothers who have stood with me. You say, is that really a big deal? Ask any Muslim you know who's come to follow Christ. Is it a big deal if another Muslim comes to Christ and follows with you? Sure it is. Because you get rejected by your family, you get kicked out, you get abused, sometimes you get killed. The same thing was happening here. Paul has been rejected by the Jews, but some of these Jews who followed Christ are hanging in there with him. And you say, well, what's the big deal about that? Shouldn't Paul just be excited that anybody's following Christ? He is. But you read Romans 9 through 11, and Paul's heart breaks for his fellow Jews to come to know Christ. There's a cultural aspect there. There's, there's family that, that he wants to come to know Christ. And these people followed him. These people were willing to be ostracized from their community to follow Christ and to go along with Paul. That's a big deal. He was willing to pay a price. He's kind of a bulldog. Now, I realize yesterday was not a good illustration for the bulldogs, but... But a bulldog, you ever been with one, you know, and they just, they grab a hold and they're not going to let go. They've got a hold. And that's this kind Jesus Justice is this kind of guy. I've grabbed a hold of Christ and it doesn't matter what comes my way, I'm hanging in there. I'm hanging on with Paul. Then we come to Epaphras. Now see, you can say Epaphras or Epaphras. Um, I'm just making it up as I go. Epaphras who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Hierapolis. So, here's Epaphras, who has a pastor's heart. says he struggles in prayer for the Colossians. And for Paul. Now, a lot of us struggle with prayer. He says he struggles in prayer. In Ephesians, when it talks about epiphras, he uses the word gymnasium that he's 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 working out in his prayers. He he's saying, Lord, he's fighting for the Colossians. He's he's dealing with the Lord and he's struggling with the Lord. For the Colossians. He has his heart that says, I want them to come to know you. Matter of fact, he founded the church at Colossae. He's not there now. That's why he's sending greetings. But he founded the church at Colossae. There's a word that says he's a bondservant. If you remember in the Old Testament, when someone decided to follow after their master, what their master says, you can go free. And they said, what? You know, I love you so much, I want to stay. And they took him to the doorframe and they put their ear on the doorframe and they drove a nail through the ear and put a ring there. Not as a fashion statement. Because that ring marked that person as belonging forever to their master. Not because they have to, but because they choose to. Paul uses that term to talk about epiphus here, that he has chosen to follow Christ that he hurts for his people, that he's constantly praying for them and fervently praying for them. He's, He's willing to give up all to pray for the people. He has a single passion, and that's that these people come to know Christ. Then Paul mentions Luke. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Now, we know a lot about Luke, right? I mean, Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. You say, well, I thought Paul wrote the majority of the New Testament. Volume-wise, Luke wrote the majority of the New Testament. So we've got to understand that, that he has something to say. But if you think about Paul, we know from history that there were different physical aspects about Paul that he struggled with, whether his thorn in the flesh was something physical or not, we don't know. But we do know that he went through some different physical things, and even something as simple as, whether he was healthy physically, he got beaten a lot. You know, he got left for dead a whole lot. So what's good to have with you? A doctor. And Luke travels with him. If you read through the book of Acts, through all of what's going on, for the majority of the book of Acts, it says we... Luke's writing and he says, we experienced this, we experienced this, we experienced this. He's with Paul the whole time. He's, he's Paul's personal physician. He's with him on all these journeys. And Paul says, he's sending you greetings. He's that faithful friend who's hung in there. And then we have Demas. He says, you know, he doesn't say much about him, as does Demas. That doesn't give you a whole lot to, lot to go on there. But what we do know about Demas is in Philemon 20, verse 24, again, Demas sends his greetings. He's part of this team that's hanging out with Paul and serving alongside Paul. He sends his greetings again here in Colossians. But then in 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul says this, For Demas, in love with this present world, has deserted me. Not everybody hangs in there. Not everybody makes it. Paul doesn't say it as, that jerk Demas. He says it with a broken heart. That Demas has deserted me. All these ones who hung in there, but Demas didn't make it. A great cloud of witnesses that show that it can be done, some of witnesses that show that it, if you're not following Christ fully, it's easy to walk away. It's easy to turn your back. Demas is a turncoat. So the question is, what kind of follower are you? Are you a true servant? Do you have a questionable past but been forgiven? Your faithful friend? A bulldog? Or a turncoat? Because it's not a matter of coming to church. It's not a matter of walking away going, wow, that was a powerful message. I'm glad I was there. What's for lunch? It's what kind of follower are we going to be? And I remember as a kid, and it it wasn't the best motive, but I can remember reading some biographies of people who were following Christ, and, and in my head, I said, I want to follow Christ that way, but realistically, part of me was saying, I want to follow Christ that way, so that one day they'll write a book about me and people will know who I was? You know, I mean, I was 12. Give me a break, you know. But it's not a matter of following Christ so that maybe one day somebody will be reading something, not in the Bible, but someone will be reading a book about us following Christ. Isn't that great? So what? So what? Maybe not till this morning did you even know who half these guys were that Paul listed. And there's not much written about them. There's a lot of people over the years who followed Christ that nobody knows anything about. There's a lot of pastors out there who are pastoring churches that nobody knows their name except for the 50 or so people who go to their church. Is that pastor of a church of 50 less important than the pastor of the church of 10,000 that everybody knows his name it's not about our name it's about his name so what kind of follower are we going to be followers who lift up and honor his name or followers who seek to make a name for ourselves because if we seek to make a name for ourselves, we're not going to be any better off than Demas. We're going to walk away eventually because it's going to get old. And all the people who love us today are not going to love us tomorrow. We follow Him. 100%. No matter what comes our way. Let's pray.